I'll give it again, ddt-lyrics.com and data transcription team. What they did was they listened to all of Prince's albums and meticulously transcribed to the best of their ability the lyrics. And I know the majority of Prince's albums have had the lyrics printed in the liner notes, uh, but some of them didn't, so this is a valuable resource, especially for the earlier albums. The lyrics for the title track consist of only three lines. All of this and more is for you, with love, sincerity, and deepest care, my life with you, with you, I share. And just reading those, it kind of makes me think, is he in, in character here? and talking to a particular woman, or is he talking in general to his fan base, whether in Minneapolis or wherever it may be. I feel that it may be a little bit of both. Prince is famous for double meaning, so I'm just wondering if he's telling the fans, here's the beginning of my gift to you, a gift which has gone on for 34 years at this point, and he's still giving it to us. But I tend to think that it's a message to the fans just as well as it could be to a fictitious or maybe real-life woman, too. I mean, Prince has said in the past that if you know his songs, you pretty much know him. And I think the lyrics to For You allude to that in a way that he's opening himself up showing himself to the world and sharing what he's got to offer. So in that sense, I really appreciate the track. What do you think about that, Vince? I agree, definitely. I think it has both. This album, and to an extent, but a lesser extent, uh, Prince, and we don't have to do comparison and contrast every five minutes, but they both are very much focused on relationships. And whether these were real life relationships or just love songs, For You is very much a love song album. And it can, I think it can be taken both ways. The dedication actually gives thank you to a bunch of people. And the last line is, and you. And so, you know, it's definitely, you know, bringing his yeah, music to the fans. Um, really? Even though, who knew if he had a fan at that point, of course. Um, but... You know, he had to be confident that someone was finding yeah. it. Yeah, it's pretty cool that right from the beginning we could see Prince was trying to establish a relationship with his audience and sort of open himself up like that. Wow, if we have this much to say about the title track, <laughs> we're going to be here a while, so strap yourselves in, ladies and gentlemen. I think with some of the tracks, we won't be as, as excited as we were saying. Like, there's a lot of tracks that just, like, eh, for us. Oh, not yeah. that bad, but yeah. There's not that special spark in a lot of the tracks on this album that we're so accustomed to seeing from Prince. I think the second album is much more of an indication of that, which we agreed on, Vince, earlier prior to starting recording this podcast. But we'll get to that in more detail. Track number two, In Love. I was actually listening to it the other day, and I was really, really getting into it because it's got that off-the-wall, Quincy Jones disco dance sound. 
This track really reminds me of a track that Michael and Quincy might have worked well together for Off the Wall, which coincidentally came out the year following this album in 1979. It's a really, really fun disco-type dance song. And it's really upbeat, and of course, it's the first example of Prince's tongue-in-cheek innuendo coming into play. At the end of each chorus, he says, I really want to play in your river. And obviously, he's not talking about a literal body of water there. Um, it kind of reminds me of the lyric in Delirious, where he says, Girl, you got to take me for a little ride up and down, in and out and around your lake. There we go. Another water metaphor, but this is the first one. You know, it's sort of that trademark innuendo that Prince has been famous for from the get-go. I really like this song. It's one of the highlights. It's not the highlight for me, but with me being so foreign to this album, you know, and just this past week being the first time where I really sat down and really listened critically to each and every song, it was a nice little discovery for me, a nice little surprise. You know, it doesn't blow me away, but there's some older songs that you listen to that you've forgotten about, and you go, oh, yeah. This is an early song, and I forgot Prince even recorded this, but it's a cool song. And Again, it shows glimpses of the phenomenal artist that Prince would eventually become, and I like the song. It's, it's one of my favorites on the album. Vince, what do you think about In Love? Yeah, I'd say it's um, among the better songs on the album. It's a kind of disco sound, but I don't think it ranks up there maybe with Off the Wall as far as, you know, great classics obviously it wasn't a single it wasn't anything um you know that, that most people would remember that most even fans would put put at the top of their list but it's a good song it's uh it's got a good beat and um it's kind of smooth it's not like it's upbeat but it's like kind of more of a smooth disco song Prince is definitely playing with a lot of elements of disco it's kind of hard to find the genre of the album i mean it's definitely under the broad category of R&B, but there's there are a few things going on here that are that are kind of interesting. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, same, and of course, once we get to Prince, even more so. But it's it's a good song. It's you know it's it's fun. It's got um, good lyrics. You can follow along with the concept that he's talking about. I mean, it's a really simplistic song, um, but it's it's good. I mean, might have been a minor hit you know, had it been released as a single. But I think there's a better song that's similar to this, um, and we'll get to that in a second. But I, I, I like it, definitely. Let's get to the next track. Soft and Wet is one of the few songs, I think, on this album that really has the spark that we're used to seeing in print in all subsequent albums. And it's ironic in the sense that the lyrics weren't completely written by Prince. Chris Moon is actually a co-lyricist with Prince for this one track. What can really be said about this track that isn't obvious already? You know, it's, it's a Prince classic. His voice on this is great. And we get the, the sexually charged Prince that was so upfront and so crucial to in the early years, projecting that, that sexual image and we definitely get that here. I mean, the title alone is is pretty obvious, you know. <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, just a, a very good song, classic Prince, and makes a lot of people's lists of favorite Prince songs. It's definitely one of my favorites. Speaking off the top of my head, I wouldn't say it was in my top ten favorite Prince songs, but on any given day, it could be. I think it depends on what mood I'm in, but yeah, this song is really, really good, really strong, which is obvious why it was chosen as a single. Vince, what do you think of this track? It's a great song. It's certainly not a song I remembered once when I bought the um, the hits disc. I'm not sure what order I bought them in. I'm not sure if I bought one and then two, but I did buy them several years later, but not too far back from that time. And I'm like, well, this is different. This one, and I looked it up. It was the first song. But it's cool. It's got a great disco sound. I think it's more perfected than it is on In Love. It's um, and yeah, it's very signature Prince. It's the signature vocal. It's the screams. It's very clever. Um, we rent. I think it, it's such a departure from other things on the album. I'm not sure if it was the lyrics. It was just the lyrics that this um, Chris Moon helped provide, but the lyrics maybe the flow because it's a really like it's it's got a great pace to it. Excellent track. Um, great choice for the first single. I think there were a few others later on that might have worked as well. But it's great track. Yeah. The next track is a personal favorite of mine. Crazy You. Three minutes and forty eight seconds. Painfully short. I actually went into audio editing software and, and made my own extended version just by extending the instrumental parts a little more in certain places just so the song could be longer because I enjoy it really a whole lot. And shout out to Dreamy Pop Royalty. Whenever we discuss the song, we both bring up the point that it's a great song just to turn on and chill out to. Acoustic guitar mostly, and then, and then I think some keyboards or synths in the back of the mix somewhere in there. But uh, musically, it's just very, very, very beautiful, very, very simple. And this is one of the songs where the simplicity of the song, I think, is actually a strength. On some of the other songs on this album, the simplicity kind of works to the song's detriment. But on Crazy You, it has the opposite effect, at least in my opinion. And Prince's vocals, again, a great example of just flawless falsetto. And I like the emotion and the vulnerability in his vocal. And one other element that I love was the percussion in the song. There's an aspect of the percussion that sort of sounds like water dripping from a faucet that I really, really love because it's really different and unique. And just this song all around is is a real highlight for me and a real hidden gem. Vince, what do you think about this track? Yeah, there, there's some songs that don't stick out to me. And um, so I had to do a quick reminder and just play a second of Crazy You. And then I remembered, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know what? I do like this one quite a bit. It's of the softer songs. I think it's the best. Um, it's still not my favorite. I'm going to get to my favorite in a second. I, I think there's three really great songs on the album that are signature prints. One of them I would put in my top 
maybe 10, 20. Um, we'll get to that, of course, later on. But Crazy You, it's a very memorable ballad. It's got a great, interesting sound. It's not quite R&B. It's not quite pop. It definitely wasn't the 1970s late era of AC pop. But it's like this sort of smooth combination of all of that. It's almost jazz. It, it takes so many elements in, yet it's such a short song. song that reminds me a lot of, and this is strange because it's such an obscure song. It's a song I really like. Obscure Prince song, I should note. Dion. Doesn't it remind you of Dion? I'm not yeah, sure if it's like a chorus. Yeah, it's a chorus of Dion. And like he incorporated, maybe like you know, years, years later, um, incorporated that into this. Dion, of course, just as a reminder to the listeners, is an acoustic guitar track from the 1996 album, The Truth, which uh, was included in with the Crystal Ball package in, in 1996. Great, great acoustic album. I'm sure we're going to get to it on the Purple Nights podcast before too long. But, yeah, I definitely see the similarities. Good, yeah. good observation. Great observation, actually. Yeah, because yeah. I, I might, I'm not sure what order I heard these in. If I bought For You, I think for, it was probably when I bought many years later, but I had um, Crystal Ball forever, but never really listened to the whole thing, never really listened, got into the troupe until somewhat recently. I mean, I, I've had it for years. I've had Crystal Ball probably longer than I've had most Prince albums. But, yeah, I mean, I, I made that connection. I think the last few times I've heard Crazy You. I'm like, wow, this sounds like Dion. Or vice versa. Uh, yeah, sounds like Crazy You. Moving on, here we get to the the longest track on the album, pretty much the halfway point of the album. Just as long as we're together, closes out side one. I haven't really got much to say about this song. There's, there's a lot in the second half of the album that loses me, and I just, it all just sort of blends together. I would say my favorite aspect of this song is the second half, where after we get to the standard verse, chorus, verse, format, and you get to the extended instrumental jam portion, which definitely reminds me of 94 East. And for anybody that's listened to these episodes of the Purple Nights podcast from the beginning, you know that I'm one to generally profess my love of the longer jams on Prince albums where he really lets the song breathe and lets the jam and the melody ride out and speak for itself. This is an exception to me. I don't know if it's just how I feel about the album in general is coloring my my opinion of this song and the, the length of it, but I don't know. It just To me, it just gets too repetitive and goes on for a little long for my taste, but... Again, that's a very ironic statement coming from me because I'm usually gung-ho about the longer the Prince track, the better, in my opinion. But it's a good song. The vocals, pretty much in every song on this album, the vocals are really, really good. There are a few where I think they're bordering on magical, but they're not quite there yet. Of course... This is Prince's first album, so he's just getting his feet wet in the studio, so to speak. You know, this is his first shot at really recording and producing music professionally, and it'll just get better and better. 
as the years go on. But some performances, the vocals are very strong, but they just don't have that extra shine, you know, that I'm yeah. used to hearing from his vocals. But And that could be the production, too. I mean, not necessarily Prince's performance in itself, but just how the vocals are mixed and stuff like that. But Vince, what do you think of just as long as we're together? Well, it's, it's probably one of my favorite tracks on the album. Not my favorite yet, but one of them. It's, it's memorable. It's very catchy. It's very hooky and very much a disco song. I mean, no question. It's got a very disco beat. It's somewhat predictable at the beginning. And it does become something of an interesting jam later on. And I definitely hear the 94 East influence, even though I'm not an expert on 94 East. But yeah, you can hear that element of it. It's sort of jam session, fun vibe, but not... Well, later on in the track, I think it sort of becomes more funk, rock. It becomes a few more elements other than just straight-ahead disco. Uh, but, But essentially, it's a disco song. The verses, the choruses. If I do have a complaint about it, it's the verses aren't nearly worthy of the memorable chorus. I mean, it just repeats just as long as we're together, everything's all right. But it's like it's such a memorable hooky chorus, and the way he sings it, the way it's layered, it's really good. And it's one I'd like to hear maybe performed live. Just not the whole song, but maybe like some elements of it, especially the chorus. Again, the verses sort of lose me. They're not they're not as strong as the chorus, which is just like really good, really hooky. I think he's starting to get into some really interesting hooks, some really interesting things that will become signature later on. And um, I think it's a pretty good song. I think. Uh, of the dance songs, it's the most memorable. I think it's more memorable than In Love. I think it's more memorable than I Love Is Forever, the other sort of dance song. I think that is, yeah. I can't compare it to Soft and Wet. I think Soft and Wet is so much its own name, and it's it, it's very different. I don't think it's as, as, as much of a predictable disco song where In Love Is, Just As Long As We're Together Is, my Love Is Forever sort of is a more, more predictable disco song where Soft and Wet is so much of its own name. Um, so maybe my third favorite song behind Soft and Wet, uh, but maybe Crazy You is four. I don't know. Um, but there's a lot of elements I like of it. I think it's just a memorable title. It's just like it's a hooky title, just as long as we're together. Everything's all right. And... Um, you know, really, really good in that sense. Um, so he was, he definitely hit the, the high mark for me here. Could have been a single. It was a single, I guess. It was a single, but um, perhaps he needed a good radio version. I wonder if, um, you know, maybe, I'll, maybe it's something worth looking for um, on my end. And uh, maybe we're hunting down, but obviously not a hit because, um, didn't end up on the Greatest Hits album, and there were a lot of songs that ended up on the Greatest Hits album that weren't huge hits. Um, we'll get to that when we talk about Prince. Uh, but, yeah, good song. I like it. Then we get to track six, Baby, which 
I think lyrically it's, it's one of Prince's most personal songs where we really get inside of his heart. We don't really see Prince make reference to offspring very much in his music. Two main things I'll say about the song and then I'll end over to you, Vince. I noticed listening to the song several times and it may just be a case of CD mastering or whatever. And this may be a case to really push for remasters because I noticed listening to this song, the vocals were exceptionally quiet and almost quiet to the point where I couldn't really make out what Prince was even singing. I mean, I could tell that his falsetto was really sweet and on point, but it was just so quiet, it was almost a whisper. Maybe that was intentional by Prince, but... I would have liked to have been able to hear the lyrics just a little more clearly. I don't know. Maybe it's a, maybe it was intentional or a, a mastering issue, production issue. That's one thing I wanted to bring up. And then another thing is this song in its style, of course, leaving out the falsetto aspect of it because they weren't really known as a falsetto group. But just looking at the song structure and the vibe of it and the sound of it, I can really hear the Commodores do this song. It sounds like a uh, Lionel Richie type song that would be perfect for his voice. I don't know. Those are the only two comments I have had for this song. I like the song. It's a it's a pleasant song, but again, not a real true standout. Prince's vocals are wonderful as they are throughout the album, but really not a standout for me, I guess. Vince, I'll hand it over to you. Baby, what do you think of this track? Well, I, I like your Commodore's note. I, I never thought of it that way, but I could I could definitely hear that. The way it's sung, it could be a Commodore song. It might be better as a Commodore song, better production. Yeah, I didn't notice the, um, that it was hard to hear the lyrics. In fact, what stood out to me was it, it starts off as a very generic song, like, oh, baby, Sort of name. I mean, it's just called Baby. Then when you hear the end, it's like you realize, oh, it's one of those story songs. Cause you're right. <laughs> and it, you, sort of, you sort of got different beginning. It's like Baby, We're in Trouble. It's like, I think I know where this is going. It's probably one that I glossed over so many times. And uh, hearing it at that time, it's like, oh, yeah. Now, now it's a story song. And it's the 70s. The story songs were huge for that whole decade. So it was, it's really kind of interesting in that way to me, because uh, at the very end, it's made clear that pregnant. And I hope he has eyes like mine. It's like, wow, it's hokey for Prince, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's like to end the song in that way, but it's like, it's his first album. We'll forgive him. So um, it was, it's such a weird song because it's like, it's very generic, and then you realize it's a story song. And I sort of equate it with Sister. In the fact that it's a story song, you know, um, it's totally different. But I equate it in that way because it's kind of like um, sort of, I don't want to say a novelty, but they kind of are novelty songs. I mean, they're not, um, it's not bad, it's not good, but it just is what it is. It's a novelty song. Um, it, it's like nothing you would think of putting it, as a single, it's something you'd think about putting out as, as a serious single anyways. Uh, but who knows? Maybe he thought it was single-worthy because it was a story song. And, and at the time, uh, 
I, they were sort of passe by 1977, I suppose, but maybe, um, I don't know. Uh, they were still sort of out there in, in the consciousness of, of pop radio, so maybe he thought it had that potential, but to me it, it isn't very memorable. And I think we are getting to the side, the album side, where with the exception of one song, uh, I keep note. I keep saying that like teaser, but I've, I've, I'm not going to mention it now. But um, it, it starts to get less memorable. I mean, I think maybe he's trying to consider that he thinks might hit on radio. Uh, yeah. He, yeah. He, grammar is, is escaping me. Um, yeah, he's trying different things, oh. but. Yeah, I, I don't know how successful they are. I mean, obviously, no singles at that end that I could think of. So, yeah. So, for a song I don't like, I hear a lot to say about it. On that note, we get to the next track, track number seven, My Love is Forever. And I know a lot of hardcore fans wish this was one of their favorite songs. I don't know, Vince, is this the song you were talking about that you really love? No, uh, no, not yet. <laughs> oh, no, okay. uh, no. I mean, I feel like you start, because honestly, I don't think much about this song. I mean, there's not a lot to say. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I hate to say this because it sounds totally ludicrous. I just listened to the album less than 40 minutes ago. But I'm completely drawing a blank on this song. <laughs> That's pretty uh, funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I could just say this now, because I got the lyrics up in front of me. This exemplifies my disappointment with this album. The lyrics are so cookie-cutter, by-the-numbers, I mean, generic lyrics, and nothing that really stands out. Yeah, really quick, to add to that note, this is a gener- another generic disco song for me. It doesn't have the bite of even Just As Long As We're Together, which doesn't have a ton of bite. It's it's just there. It's like, it's, it's disco, but it's sort of soft disco, if you will. Um, yeah, you know, I suppose it reminds me of if I had to put it in a sound, like what it sounds like, it's like Native New Yorker. If you're familiar with that song, which is a pretty great song, and it's more memorable lyrically than this one, obviously. But it's soft disco. It's like a soft R and B sound. It's yeah. not a lot to it. It's just there, and uh, yeah, it's like doo, 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 doo. It starts with that, and it's like it doesn't go much further than that. I guess that's one element that I really like because I think that that keyboard hook is catchy and kind of fun to bob your head along with. But other than that, it's yeah, it's a head bobber. It's yeah. like, but it's not like it's not. It doesn't grab you, you know. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, grab anyone. Exactly. <laughs> I don't, I'm shocked that people have said that this is one of their favorites because it doesn't strike me as anything signature. Um, but you know, I've people heard, have their favorites. I've heard a lot of people say that My Love Is Forever is an amazing song, and I'm like, okay, you obviously see something I don't. Yeah, but, yeah. There's a few disco songs on the album, and it's one of them. It's sort of generic disco. That's what it is. But it's, it's got a similar sound to, um, to sort of what I think of as soft disco songs, like, like Native New Yorker, um, maybe even Rock the Boat. But it's not quite, it's it's certainly not that memorable. It's, it doesn't have yeah. the hook that those songs have. And, yeah, um, yeah. You know, 
Rock the Boat's pretty well known, but, you know, Native New York is a song to sort of check out. It's like kind of emotional. It's not emotional, but it's sort of clever, but it's sort of, it's had, it's had, you know, driving crazy beats. It's really soft and um, good. It, it's in vain with this song. So I think if people like, you know, this song or like the more dance-oriented stuff on For You, they would love a few songs like that, like Native New Yorker by Odyssey is a group. Well, you know, all I can say is if there's any people out there taking offense to my comments <laughs> on my love is forever, it's only going to get worse with the next track because I remember this track a little bit more than my love is forever, barely, but um, <laughs> yeah. to me, so Blue is the weakest track on the album. And again, I'm not saying it's a bad song, but apart from one note that he hits a couple minutes before the end, where he hits a really high note and then sort of gives me the glimpse of the friends yet to come, I was totally and utterly bored by this song. I felt myself nodding off, listening to it, and I'm like, man, this is nice, but it's like, it's almost like a lullaby, you know, and not necessarily in a good way. And when he sang that one note, I sat up and started paying attention, but it went right back into that vibe where it just didn't grab me. And I was like, this is the low point of the album for me, which is ironic because on the next track, you have the absolute zenith of the album. So um, rarely, if ever, do you see that on any album from any artist. But so blue, to be perfectly blunt, it put me to sleep. Vince, what do you think about track number eight? Well, I've been hinting at my favorite song on the album, one that I would put in my top 10, top 20. It's on a playlist I have of trying to hit songs from every Prince album. And So Blue is not the song. <laughs> it is just, it's it's the weakest song on the album for sure. I don't know if he was trying to make a blues song. It's not quite blues, but it's so soft. It's so generic. And um, I don't know if we'll, what the thought process was there. It's like, it's not worthy of being on a Prince album. Again, not bad. It's not a bad song. Yeah. Is Prince recorded bad songs? Yes. Um, we might get to an album that has several of them or or not. Uh, but it... <laughs> I think you know which album I'm talking about. <laughs> well, there's five of you. But... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, it's not a bad song. It's just it's just there. And it's like, So Blue is actually kind of the reason why we have to go back and listen to these albums. Like, if you told me today, right now after this, let's do a, a podcast on Purple Rain or Sign the Times or even Cold Experience, I would not have to listen to it because I would know it so well. But For You is an album that it's just among his lesser-known albums and not extremely well-received by even fans in comparison to the bulk of his work. So you have to go back and listen to a song like So Blue, which is, there's not a ton to say about it because it's just sort of there. It's sort of album filler. It's sort of just there. But maybe there was a time when he or Warner Brothers thought this would work. But, yeah. but it's, it's a worthy sort of experiment. It is a softer song, which he would perfect, of course, later on. Not much later on, even, uh, as we're going to get to talk about the album Prince in a bit. So, 
yeah, now I just yeah. Say and again, the reason why we listen to these albums not long before doing the podcast to remind ourselves of songs like So Blue, which are just right, right. listening to them. There's not a lot to say. It's just sort of like a soft. Then we get to the highlight of the album for both Vince and myself. Well, Soft and Wet is my favorite. This would be my second favorite, I think. But I can understand why it's Vince's, because this song, after the dose of volume that you get with So Blue, I'm Yours is like a dose of adrenaline. I mean, it just kicks you in the butt and takes you along on the ride for the whole five minute and one second duration of the song. And when I'm listening to it, because like I say, I have heard this album never all the way through it in order, so I can't even remember hearing I Yours prior to when I've been listening to the album for the purposes of doing this podcast, so it's like, I must have never heard it before this point, because had I really sat down and... Wow. That's crazy. I definitely would have remembered this track, because this is what... It's electric. I mean, it's just, it's lightning is what it is. And it's, it reminded me, you know, since we're doing these first two albums back to back, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is where the vibe that he takes up later in a song like Bambi, this is where that comes from, is I'm Yours. They're not so much similar songs, but, I mean, they both got that heavy guitar rock vibe. And in the beginning, before the song even starts, the beginning of the song sounds so much like a journey track. I almost expect Steve Curry to start singing, and then, of course, Prince's vocals enter. But I'm like, man, what an awesome early rock song from Prince, you know? I used to think Bambi was the beginning of that, but no. The guitar solo on this song, it speaks for itself. That solo is amazing. What a great guitarist Prince has become over the years. But even in the beginning, it shows that he can absolutely kill it on the guitar. In that respect, it reminded me of a song maybe like Dreamer. Dreamer has a lot of strong guitar on it, obviously influenced by Jimi Hendrix, one of Prince's biggest influences. What a song and what a way to close out an album. For as much as we talked about For You being an album opener, I'm almost thinking that I Yours could even work as a better album opener and For You could kind of work really well as a closer because it's the close of the album and For You could be kind of like a bow on top of the gift, you know, to wrap things up. But I Yours has so much energy and so much punch and it has the perfect qualities that I look for in an opening track to a Prince album where it makes you really sit up and really grabs you and takes you along for a ride. 
just incredible energy on the song. Vince, I know this is your favorite, so go ahead. You can talk as long as you want on it, because this is a song that deserves copious discussion. I appreciate it, sir. Um, yes, I am, I'm so excited to talk about this song, because I think it's really one of his lost gems. There are the obvious songs that the public knows from Prince. People know Kiss. People know When Doves Cry. To an extent, they know the 90s stuff, Cream, Get Off probably don't know much after the Warner Brothers era other than maybe the most beautiful girl in the world. Fans know everything. But, I mean, like I'd say some fans were novices, know all the singles, and they might know a few album cuts. Like, they might they might have Purple Rain. They might have a few other Prince albums. They might have newer albums. Probably not a lot of people outside of hardcore fans own for you other than people who after purple rain bought every prince album as i know martha quinn noted uh, when she saw purple rain she said me and my girlfriend bought every prince album there is and it's like how cool is that to discover someone and then discover this great back catalog of their stuff and i think i'm yours is one of the strongest cases to just buy this album if you are someone who's a novice, just buy this album because it is such an intense rock song. It is it is funk, it is rock, it is Prince. It's a song that could easily be on, I can't say the radio today because I don't think radio embraces stuff that is that different. So I don't think it could be on the radio, but I could imagine it being on a Prince album today. Where I couldn't imagine these other songs on Prince album today. It's so intense, so driven. What's interesting, you know, this would probably make a better album opener. I think it would almost be, it's interesting that it is the album closer. Album closers tend not to be the strongest songs on the album. They tend to be memorable in some way to sort of conclude the album. Sometimes they're ballads, uh, noting Madonna, on her last album, and on quite a few of her albums, she ends up a ballad. Sort of just to sum things up, um, Prince is necessarily end with ballads, but he'll sort of have that feel that things are sort of concluding. Although Prince's 1979 album does end with a ballad. Rather good ballad. But I think it's interesting to end things off with such an extremely different song, such an extremely strong song, that shows this really different layer of this artist. It's hinted in other in other songs earlier in the album what a great musician it is, but I don't think it's really shown until here. To think of that as one person doing all that work, the bass, the guitar, drums, whatever else is incorporating that song, it's really mind-boggling because it sounds like an incredibly tight band the guitar solo is the reason why i think a lot of prince fans are prince fans his guitar work is amazing and to hear it this early on at the end of an album that seems like sort of generic disco and sort of generic r&b music and then to hear this rock song is yeah insane i definitely hear the comparisons and i always make them too of bambi but 
it's a bit unfair for two reasons. Bambi is certainly his, maybe his signature rock song non-single, or at least non-hit. It's, it's a song that hardcore fans know him for because it's so interesting. We'll talk about Bambi, of course, and all the details of it. But this one gets lost. I think this one gets so lost, it gets lost by Prince. I can't think of a time that he, he pulled out I'm Yours, and he should. It's, it's so incredible. That's Incredibly true. sounding track. He, there's so many names you can do with it, too, because it is a jam song, essentially. That's what I was going to mention, too, and I knew you were going to mention this at some point because I was listening to the song totally blown away, and I was like, oh, my God, what if France took this today and performed it live with the type of guitar player he is now? And we all know he was good back in the day, but he wasn't as phenomenal as he is now all these years later, but with the guitar skills and the experience that he's had through all these years, could you imagine if he took this song out and performed it at a live setting today? I mean, it would just absolutely kill. I mean, I can't even imagine how awesome that would be. Yeah, I, I would think it'd probably be, like, a huge highlight. It would blow people away, it'd blow fans away, it'd blow novices away, and they'd be like, what is that? And then they'd buy the For You album because I would assume it's his lowest seller in the Warner Brothers discography. I mean, if we really yeah. think about it at all, Prince had one big hit and it had a few songs that were sort of well-known. Dirty Mind is sort of a cult classic, controversy, eventually sort of was recognized by the public. And then from then on, he had albums that had big hits, big sellers, you know, many times platinum, if not platinum at least once or gold. I think For You has to be among the lowest sellers because it doesn't have a hit. I mean, Soft and Wet is, I, I don't think really Soft and Wet was a hit. I mean, I think we only think of it as a hit because it was on the hits album. And we know it from that. And it's a good song. It's a really good song. It's 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 second best song, in my opinion, on the album. But think about what would have happened if I'm Yours was a single. Now, it might have went absolutely nowhere because you have a black artist. And, by the way, we should note the album cover, massive afro going on, which is awesome. I mean, his, his oh, hair was, you know, it's just like... It's a silhouette, it's sort of obscured, but you see his hair and it's like insane. But I mean, could you, you know, I can't imagine radio would necessarily embrace it. Yet, if this was some white rock artist, oh, this would have been like a massive hit. If this was like, for some reason I'm thinking Nick Glider, and I don't think he does songs that are like this, but I don't know, maybe it would have been a big hit for him or someone else, um, you know, Kiss had a hook like that. Maybe they'd be taken seriously to me, but uh, uh, as musicians, I mean, they're, they definitely get a lot of love from fans, and they have some really good songs. But a song like "I'm Yours" really could have been a game changer, but it might have won nowhere too. But I'm I'm shocked they didn't try it as a single because it seems like something that shouldn't be just lost and and neglected. And, um, you know, maybe somewhere along the line it'll get picked up by Prince or 
somewhere, but I, I sort of doubt that. One last comment that I'll throw in there. Looking at the lyrics, there's nothing really objectionable compared to the type of stuff he sings in concert these days. There's nothing really objectionable that would create a legitimate argument for Prince not to perform it these days. I mean, there's nothing really risque about it other than he says in the lyrics, he says, never have I ever made love before, but that's not really vicious or obscene in any sense of the word that I can think of. So this song, to me, is ripe for the picking for live shows in 2012 and beyond. Prince, dude, did you listen? Pull this one out of the bag and perform it as the show opener instead of Let's Go Crazy, which I love Let's Go Crazy. I love the Purple Rain album in general. But to be honest, it's relied upon too much as a show opener. So subtract Let's Go Crazy just for one show and just throw in I'm Yours as the opener instead. And I guarantee that people's minds will be blown totally. And to sum up this album as a whole, I'll just sort of repeat what I said at the beginning. It's a solid debut album. I mean, there's nothing overwhelmingly bad about it. It's just not as strong as what's yet to come. And there's definite spotlight moments where you can sort of see the prints that he would become shine through, especially on songs like Soft and Wet and I'm Yours. But as a whole, it doesn't really represent the type of dynamic artist that Prince would become and still is all these many years later. All right, moving on to the second contender in our doubleheader, the self-titled album from 1979, specifically released on the 19th of October, 1979, Prince, slightly longer by about eight minutes than the first album was. For me, as I was saying at the top of the show, this is clearly the superior album of the two. Vince, any opening comments overall about this album before we get started with the tracks? Well, um, just in general sense, it is Prince's sophomore album. Quick notes, I'm not, I'm not going to get too long into this. We should probably just spend more time on the tracks. It's kind of funny to see the uh, juxtaposition between the two album covers. Both sort of fun shots of his face, but... For You is dark, it's sort of obscured, it's, I don't know, it's trying to be maybe creative, um, presenting in that way, and it's all black, where Prince is blue, it's like light, it, it almost seems different in that sense that um, they present that contrast. It's not to say For You is a dark album by any means, and Prince is a light around, but it almost feels that way. To listener, I just yeah. feel like Prince is such a positive album in some ways, much stronger. And but of course we'll discuss that. We'll just discuss, I, mean, I don't know if necessarily we have to do a lot of comparison and contrast, but uh, there might be a few cases of that. Two quick comments I wanted to add on to your observations about the album cover. One is, of course, the obvious difference in Prince's hairdo where we talked about the huge afro on For You, and now we've got this Farrah Fawcett kind of Charlie's Angels feathered look going on. 
I like that look on Prince better than the Afro, but that's just me. Second second comment I was going to make, is I always kind of laugh about this, but it looks like it could almost be a driver's license photo. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. <laughs> Not as you're not. <laughs> but let's not say it's a bad thing, because most people's driver's license photos are horrendous. A lot of people have their eyes shut or at least half shut and their mouths in a weird position and all that stuff, but it, he just looks sober. And, it, you know, it could either be a driver's license photo or a mug shot, but I don't know. It just strikes me as kind of weird how serious and how sober his expression is on the cover. But, yeah, getting to the actual tracks, track number one, Great, great album opener, and this is where Prince as Prince really begins. I mean, I Want to Be Your Lover, signature Prince track, still got that 70s sound, but it doesn't sound cliche disco as much as some of the tracks on the previous album did. I mean, this is just a funky, funky song, upbeat song, and the lyrical content in relation to the music, there's kind of an interesting juxtaposition there because the lyrics almost sound like they're, I don't want to say threatening, but they're really upfront and insistent. But the music is light and fun and danceable. And then after the regular verse chorus, verse structure, you grab that extended jam where it almost morphs into a second song, really. That whole part of it is brilliant, you know. And it goes back to the comparison that I've seen reading articles and, and seeing different things from back in those days and in that point of Prince's career. When Prince first came around onto the scene, a lot of people were comparing him to Stevie Wonder because he was this young R&B funk cat that played all his instruments and was very musically gifted and I could totally see the comparison to Stevie Wonder on a song like this for a number of reasons, but great, great song. And my sister, Paula, shout out to her. Love you, Paula. This is her favorite all-time Prince song, and I can definitely see why. It's a great way to open the album. And as Vince said earlier, you know, the whole vibe of the album just feels really positive and upbeat, and that's exemplified in the sound of I Want to Be Your Lover. Just a great, great upbeat song and classic Prince. Vince, what are your thoughts on I Want to Be Your Lover? Easily one of his strongest songs. Because there's, there's so many Prince songs, it doesn't stand out as a favorite or even a favorite on this album, but it's so good. It's such a strong single. I believe his first top 10, maybe top 20, maybe barely hit the top 10. But... um. There's a reason why this one still stands the test of time. It's just that good. And I think it is a combination of disco, as it was known then, but it was more progressive. It was certainly had Prince's signature sound down. That's why it's still known today. It's just not, and it's not on generic disco uh, compilations or anything. Well, because of rights as well, but it's just a long time songs that are still sort of heard today and it's very strong and um and it is a great way to start the album this is a great album opener because it's not too aggressive it gives you the mood of the album so it isn't off in that way 
I love the way this version. It's 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 frustrating sometimes to hear the single version, which is only like three minutes twenty one seconds. I'm top my head. I think that's what it is. Might be less. Might be a song that's less than three minutes long, which is insane. But you know, it was the seventies. Oh yeah, two fifty seven. That is the edit. Wow. Yeah. Yep. I and I remember. I would sometimes hear this on Sirius of the Disco Channel, and this was probably the only song they would play by Prince, because all of his other stuff is more, I would say, 80s pop, um, the hits anyways. Yeah. But anyway, um, or new wave, um, different genres. I don't think he made a lot of typical disco, but this was a disco song for sure, but it's very signature Prince. Anyway, it's just great to hear the album version, where there's a jam, and it just goes and it goes and it's smooth and it's funky and it's got a lot of just cool tricks but it's not necessarily even a jam session it's just sort of it's just it's just what a good disco record does it just keeps playing it just it just plays with the beat and just keeps going on after the initial song ends and he could have went back to the song but it, it doesn't really it's like there's a song which is only about three minutes. And then there's a jam, and the jam just keeps going until you get to the next song. So I love yeah. that about it, too. Track number two is one of my favorites that I hadn't even heard prior to hearing the hits collection in 93. And then, of course, when I got the Prince album on CD, I was already well familiar with it by that point. But I, I love this song, too. Not quite as much as I want to be a lover, but to me, why you want to treat me so bad is another one of the standouts on this album for me. This is sort of where we start to get a little bit better quality lyrics from Prince. This is a story song, too, and it's the story of a relationship, which, of course, we know for you was all about love and relationships as a general theme of the album. But I like the personal side to the, to the story, and one thing that really stands out to me is the emotion with which Prince sings the song, especially the part right before the main chorus where he says, I play the fool when we're together, I cry when we're apart, and just how he sings that second line, I cry when we're apart. On the word cry, you can really feel the emotion in that lyric, and I just think it adds an extra dynamic to the song. You know, it's an early example of Prince's singing style bringing so much to the meaning and depth of the song. I mean, the lyrics are solid by themselves, but when you when you pair them with the vocal delivery like Prince has in that song, it gets to you. You know, it really resonates with you. At least it does in my case. So I love Why You Want to Treat Me So Bad, and... In recent years, Prince has kind of stopped singing this song in falsetto, and I don't think it's necessarily that his vocal ability has decreased with age. I think that maybe he's just trying to be a little more judicious with it and pick his spots to really stretch himself, but i got to say, I much prefer the song in its original falsetto delivery than I do in Prince's normal register. And again, I think that's because from an emotional standpoint, it really drives home the, the emotion of the song, you know, with the falsetto and the, the power he uses. 
So in recent live rooms, when he's sitting in his regular register, some of that power impact gets kind of lost. But that's just my personal opinion. Vince, what do you think of track number two? Why you want to treat me so bad? I love this song, too. My first impression of it was also from the Hits album. I believe it's Hits Disc 1. I'm looking at it right now, yeah. And it's back-to-back with When You Were Mine. And it's kind of interesting for several reasons. And I think the the one reason is they're, they're similarly titled, similarly themed, but definitely not similar songs. Why You Want to Treat Me So Bad is fun. It's it's quite light. And uh, When You Were Mine is, is a really darker song, although same idea there. It's a great, fun song. It is disco, but it's definitely signature print. The vocals here are really impressive, the way he stretches them, to really tell the story of the song, which is what a great artist does, rather than just sing. He definitely stretches himself here, and it, it works. It's kind of weird that this was on the Hits album, and I remember, just to go back to that idea, when I first heard it on there, I'm like, what is this? I don't remember this song. Wow, there are songs like, you know, that aren't on either the Hits disc, it maybe should be. This wasn't really a big hit. Uh, you know, it hit 13 on the R&B charts, which isn't super impressive, but you know what? It is a great song, and to, to hear it on the actual album prints, uh, it works really well there. could even be longer, but um, it's probably sufficient length. It is, it's sufficient for a pop song. It doesn't have to have that extra to it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great song. And uh, hearing it again recently has made me appreciate it more. I appreciate probably more here than I do on the Hits album, because it's just weird to have it on Hits album when there's so many songs that should be on there. One quick note to wrap it up. A standout feature to me definitely is the dueling guitars at the end by uh, Prince and Des Dickerson. Yeah, um, cool. It's kind of reminiscent in a way to the section in the Eagles Hotel California with, well, I believe it's Glenn Fry and Joe Walsh. I know Joe Walsh is one of the guitars, but that guitar duel, it kind of reminds me of this, but they're totally different songs, but I'm just saying from a guitar standpoint, you don't hear many duels between guitarists in pop music. So, yeah, great, great song. And then we get to the funk jam. It's definitely a disco song. I would definitely classify it as disco, but it's also got funk elements to it. And it's one of Prince's first really, really infectious dance groups. And there's not really many lyrics to it at all. It's basically an extended disco funk jam, but got my body screaming, got me just a creamer. When you rub my body, it gets me so hot. That's pretty much the extent of the lyrics. And then the rest is just a dance groove, you know? I love this song, but there are times when it can get a little repetitive. And I don't want to say boring, but there are times when I listen to it where I feel it doesn't really go anywhere. And there are other times where I'm in the mood for a song like this, and I don't really mind that the groove just keeps going, but definitely an infectious groove. It's a great song, and I can imagine this being played in heavy rotation in dance clubs around that time. So, Vince, what do you want to say about 
sexy dancer. You know, I forget if I first heard this song on this album or if I saw him do it live. But when he did it live um, on Hit Run Tour, it is essentially that jam. I mean, there's that chant, sexy dancer, do that sexy dance, and everyone knows it. And it's it's almost a signature print song at this point. It's not known as a single for sure, even though it was a single in some territories. But it's sort of signature print. It's got a lot of elements musically, but it is basically a disco song, funk song, piano, a lot of different things going on, keyboards. And it's great. It's great track, even though, yeah, not much to it lyrically, but it's just a lot of fun. Shows his musicianship, and it's great to hear live. It was great to hear live that one time. I want to say it was called Hidden Run Celebration. It was 2001, that tour. Yeah. The next part of that tour, they canceled it rather quickly after that. But, you know, it was great to see him the one time. Love to see him again, of course. But Oh, definitely, definitely. And then we get to track number four, which I view as kind of the grandfather of great, great ballads like Insatiable and Scandalous. Now, I'm not, I'm not putting this song on their level, but I'm saying if this song didn't exist, then I can't see how songs like Insatiable, Scandalous, Doobie Baby would have come into being. And, of course, I'm talking about when we're dancing close and slow. This is kind of like Baby um, for you. It kind of fits the description that Vince had for that song, which is it's slow and soft, but yet there's something about this song that doesn't bore me, where with Baby it kind of lulled me to sleep in certain places, but this doesn't, and I think that has to do with the production. I think Prince's vocals have a bit more pop to them on this song and on this album overall compared to the first. I can really notice a change in the strength of the ballads on this album compared to the ballads on For You, but this is like the granddaddy of all Prince slow jams. Prince's voice on this is really, really nice, and he played it overseas in 2010 at a jazz festival, and he did it as a duet with Andy Allo, the newest edition of the MPG, and that version is really, really nice. And it was a real, real treat to hear it because with Prince's attitude towards the past, he really doesn't bring up older songs besides the clear-cut hits and the huge songs known to the general public. So this was a treat that he did it at the North Sea Jazz Festival. And that version, like I said, is great. And this song is great. And again, it shows the promise of what he would become as a vocalist and more specifically as a balladeer. Vince, what do you think of track number four, When We're Dancing Close and Slow? I, I agree with everything you've said. It's something you could have imagined from the first album, but it's perfected. The right. sound of vocals, the production, and it's very haunting. It's like those opening notes, and it just lingers, and it's just a haunting sort of track. Not memorable not like hooky, but just catchy in a haunting way. It's like you can 
Um, it, it's hard to escape it, but a very nice, slow song and perhaps feels more meaningful. I don't know if it is. I don't know if it was about a relationship or something or about someone, but it feels more meaningful than the stuff that's on For You. And it's, it's hard to say stuff on For You is for real or vice versa, but it feels like a really strong track and it, but it's hard to say where that came from but i think it's something from the first album but a little better perfected in, in many in several different ways and then we get to a song that i enjoyed but i have difficulty explaining and discussing the vibe that i get from it for some reason it's in the production or one of the instruments or several of the instruments Track number five, With You, kind of reminded me of an old-timey, late 70s, early 80s country track in the instrumentation, like something Kenny Rogers would do or something like that. It's hard to explain why I got that vibe from it. I like this song, but it confuses me to talk about it because I don't know where to place it in my head and how to explain what I hear in it, but Prince's vocals are excellent on this song, and... There's certain spots where the richness of the music and the chords really come through, and that's a really warm-sounding song. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I'm going to hand it over to Vince. Maybe he can explain it better than I can. You know, I, I had a hard time remembering this one, to be honest, and I remember all the songs on this album because there's some hook to everyone. This one, I think, sort of lacks it, but I know what you're saying by the, it has a country feel. It's not quite country. I think it's that early 80s country pop crossover. That's what I meant. Early 80s country pop. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Kenny Rogers is, is sort of the signature artist of that. Um, uh, when I say maybe Eddie Rabbit, is, is that yeah. his name? Yeah. Eddie Rabbit, there's uh, Ronnie Millsap. Uh, yep, yep. Oh, uh, but so, do you get that sort of vibe from it, or am I totally insane? Second, to remember it, and yeah, I can hear that. It's not, but it's definitely not quite country. But it's got that vein. It's that sound of the time, and not necessarily. And it was probably all over. You know, what's interesting. Yeah. I have serious, and I will listen to the top 40 countdowns. And when you get ones that are from 1980 or 81, but particularly 80, which is pre-MTV, and 81 is pretty much pre-MTV because it started in August of the year, um, there's a lot of that type of music. It was it made up, you know, usually several songs on the top 40 every time. And sometimes they were higher and sometimes they were lower, but... So, I mean, that was on the chart so much, um, it's kind of natural for it to flow into this album, even though it's not a country song per se, but it has that commercial, um, yeah, it's kind of weird when you think about it, it's on every genre, pretty much, I can't think of one except for country, it wouldn't be out of character for him to do something like that, but although maybe now it's been so long, but um, that comes pretty close. I think for you, comes close with that idea. 
And then we get to track number six, which is arguably the most notorious track on the album among hardcore fans. Maybe not the most well-known track. Bambi is notorious with the fan of the signature Prince rock song. And of course, Prince adds his flavor to the vibe of the song by writing lyrics about <laughs> about the relationship he was in where he got spurned by his female lover in favor of another female lover. I could be wrong, but to my knowledge, it's one of the earliest examples of somebody openly addressing the issue of homosexuality in music. Vibe-wise, rock-wise, the great song. I was thinking about how to phrase this earlier, and I always go over it in my head, too. I wouldn't say necessarily that it's the closest Prince had gotten to heavy metal, because I don't think he's done anything that's strictly heavy metal, but I think it's one of the closest examples of Prince really tapping into that hard rock type vibe. Just a heavy guitar-driven rock song, and the emotion in the vocals is tremendous, and it elevates the song to another level. In general, one of the highlights of the album for me, one of my very favorite songs on this album. Vince, how do you feel about Bambi? I love Bambi. I think it's one of his strongest songs for sure. The guitar works amazing. The sound is amazing. The lyrics are different from obviously before, and not something he really would. I don't think he'd do. Well, I certainly wouldn't do now. But I don't. You know, it's not something that seems like pop content. But yeah, it's hard to say if there are songs that have addressed this before. Um, in what way? Probably. I'm sure David Bowie. I can't think off the top of my head for some reason, but. Um, address that kind of topic. I don't know about with women. Actually, it's probably more interesting. Um, is any song ever addressed lesbianism? And from this point of view, I can't imagine. It's it's really surprising. Something I want to mention, when I first bought this album, I didn't know Bambi and the fact that he performed it live many times to great effect why it probably still pops up in shows because the instrument alone is excellent. It can be improvised, it can be changed, but there's a hook there. So it's funny, listen to the album and I hear the first two songs and they're good and the sexy dancer and it's kind of a jam. Then there's one more dancing nice and slow and with you and well and I see Bambi. So off the top of my head I think and I think the lyrics are to include in the book. I just don't look at him. I didn't know what to think when you see Bambi. Because I associate Bambi not with a female name, although I believe I've known at least one Bambi, someone I worked with, but kind of funny to have a name like that. But I was thinking, of course, the Disney character. And maybe it was well, like another character. Maybe it was maybe Bambi. I think all of the Disney movies were adapted from something else. Um, or it's Hans Christian Anderson or something else, but but you think of the deer. And I'm like, I wonder if this is instrumental. I wonder if he's being funny. I wonder what this could be. And I assumed automatically it was some kind of instrumental and it was going to be you know, like frolicking in the woods. And 
not like Frolic in the Woods, but like it'd be like something that could be like on the soundtrack to Bambi. And it yeah, sounds what? like that. Like it, it'd be similar to With You or One More Dancing Nice and so on. I said, well, this is going to be another ballad or it's going to be something like that. And you hear this it's like, like horror and it blows you away and it's like, this is fascinating. And then you listen to yeah. the lyrics and you listen to it again. Well, I listen to it again. I mean, you got to stick with the proper pronouns. Uh, I mean, it's like, what is this? And it's like, he was on to something early on. Because, again, it's it's not something that he he really did again. And that's what a great artist does. You do something, you do, you have to change it up again. It, it's a great song, and it's great to have it on this album. Because he won't do the whole song live, really. He does a small part. He does, like, one verse, one chorus, and then just down. And it's great. Yeah. But but it's great to hear the song. And the whole song, it's like, uh, and he even says at the end, I love it, but just like you. And and then who say maybe you're really having fun? So I wonder what people, gay people, the song. Because it, at first it seems really like, oh, Prince being misogynist. But then again, who knows? I mean, he's, he's a sperm yeah. love. But, so you got to take it from that point of view. It'd be interesting to note if there has been some kind of examination from LGBT writers on this song and maybe on other songs in the early... 80s, late 70s, so on, in that era. Because obviously now it's like, yeah, I kissed a girl. And there's so many things that address. And there's so many, like, you know, out artists. And it's very different now from then. I think to to take those older songs and examine them would be really interesting. In particular, of course, this one. So uh, it's probably something out there, but you know, it's it's for an, essentially an album cut. It's fascinating because it, it's probably controversial to be a real U.S. single. I think it was a single in other areas, and probably more based on the sound because it's a great sounding track. So yeah, it's one of the highlights of a really strong album. Man, I'm just picturing a music video with this song as the sound, and then the visuals will be clips from the Disney movie. Man, how, <laughs> well, how, yeah, I mean, how surreal would that be? But I'm just... <laughs> I'm sure, hey, you know, there's YouTube. I'm sure someone, well, I mean, the rights issues would get it yeah. for both those yeah. things. For the Prince song, because he's so picky about his stuff being online. And for Disney, it'd be insane. But, uh, yeah, yeah. It never really happened. Yeah, because yeah, it's like, well, let me ask you just before we move on. Like, what did you think when you just saw the track Bambi? Or did you hear live versions before you bought the album? No, I hadn't heard of it before I bought the album either. But, yeah, I made the same association you did. It's so ridiculous because it's the farthest thing from the vibe of the song. And, you know, that could have been deliberate by Prince as well, just to oh, probably, show, his, yeah. show his sense of humor and really make people do a double take. 
because you think it's going to be this quaint little instrumental piece with violins and oboes and exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Well, well, the album cover is a little bit misleading. Not the album cover itself. That weird photo, which we have to, you know, just mention it. He's on a unicorn naked. <laughs> I mean, that is hilarious. And it's well, like, well, what kind of album is this? <laughs> yeah, on the back cover, yeah, you're talking about. Back cover. It's actually used, I think, as a as a single cover for maybe Bambi or maybe Sexy Dancer. I forget which one, but I just saw it. Hilarious. I mean, just hilarious. I'm, I assume unintentionally hilarious, but one of the funniest. Like, those, some of those things he did early on were crazy, though. Because if you actually see, just, just really quick before we get to the next song, the... Um, single covers for the Prince album and all the singles, there's slight variations of the two photos. Of the front photo, like, one of them's just, like, a cropped version of the front photo. It's, like, you know, they didn't put any effort into it. And then I want to say, let me find it. Yeah, Why You Want to Treat Me So Bad is just, like, the cover photo in a frame. <laughs> it's, like, ridiculous. Right. I think Bambi is the one, not Bambi, okay, yeah, Bambi, it's like a, there's one version, it's like a slightly different face shot, um, which one is it, there's, I want to say sexy, I'm going to try it again, yeah, well, there's a single that uses that photo, and it's just, it's hilarious, <laughs> Um, that back cover photo is just is just funny. Yeah, I want to be your lover. It's it's the cover photo. It's just a slightly different version. Because to be honest, I would assume I don't think they put a lot of thought into original cover work for singles back in the day. Because they were just it was just like they were what they were. You bought the single, you bought the album, or you bought both at some point. So they weren't like collectibles. Now it's like oh, you got to have a cool single cover. I mean, well, I would say maybe in the '90s and the '80s, it was it was more interesting to have stronger single artwork. Where in the '70s, it was just loosely based on those covers you already had. Track number seven, still waiting. I like this song. Like the rest of the vocals on the album, vocals on this song are great. I like the story of the song where Frank's talking about being around all of, all of his friends that are in love and, you know, in good relationships, lasting relationships, and he's getting pretty tired of waiting around for the perfect woman, and he just says he's still waiting for the perfect love, basically. I like the idea of that storyline or that narrative because we've all been there at some point in our lives. Musically, it's very pleasant. I like the sound of the music and the vibe of it. The tempo, it's mid-tempo ballad. If we're going to do comparisons to later tracks, it reminds me of sort of the formula that Prince used on a song like How Come You Don't Call Me Anymore, the B-side from the 1999 era. It's in that same vein. But, of course, you know, they're not that similar, but I'm just talking tempo-wise and all that. 
But, yeah, I like the song. The standout aspect for me is when the title is sung in the song, those harmonies, and it almost reminds me of the type of harmonies the Eagles do, which the Eagles are notorious for their rich, lush harmonies. And the harmonies Prince does on the chorus, I'm Still Waiting, are really, really nice, and I really like how they sound. Yeah, it's a pleasant song, and, you know, it wasn't a single, so it's another one of those tracks that kind of gets overlooked, but I like it. Not a highlight, but definitely I enjoy listening to it. I never skip it when I listen to the album. What do you think of Still Waiting, Vince? You know what? Yeah, it, it would be easy to say, oh, yeah, you have slow songs, and they sort of slow down the album. You don't. I mean, I like Still Waiting a lot. It's a memorable lyric. It's a memorable chorus. It catches me every time. I would assume many people would agree. It'd be one that'd be nice to hear every so often. Yeah. You know, live. And it's really sweet. It feels genuine. It's very innocent. You know, still waiting for love, waiting for the love to come around. It's got an old school feel to it. It's not yeah. trying to be contemporary. Like, obviously, the disco songs are. Uh, I think he really perfected this sort of disco sound there. And then, of course, he goes and moves on to New Wave and, and really perfects that and makes it so, so different and so his own. But it's a nice sort of mid-tempo ballad and kind of fun, even. You can imagine sing, you can sing along to it very easily, very catchy. You know, it's one thing sometimes gets caught in my head. I would say maybe with the exception of One More Dancing Nice and Slow and With You, all of these songs get caught in my head at some point. Track number eight is one of the most interesting cases in French history where the song is popular and a ton of people know it, but not necessarily as a Prince song because it became popular six years later when it was covered by another artist and that being Shocker Khan. And Prince always cites this as an example of a song where people come up to him, like he said this about Nothing Compares to You. People come up to him and say, oh, it's so cool that you threw a Sinead O'Connor song into your set list. And he's like, well, I originally wrote the song, and most people don't know or don't recognize that Prince wrote I Feel For You. And I didn't even know that until, again, going back to the 93 Hits collection, I saw it on there and I was like, I feel for you. Isn't this a Shaka Khan song? One of my favorite 80s dance tracks? And I heard it and I was like, holy crap, this was originally a Prince song. And over the years, especially lately, because I heard the Shaka Khan version a couple weeks ago, I looked it up on YouTube, and my opinion of the Shaka Khan version has greatly changed from when I was little before I had heard the original Prince version, because it has such a cheesy, break-dancing vibe that it's almost like a parody of Prince's original. And I hate to say that because Shaka Khan's a great artist and the song was a massive hit for her, but I just don't like the 80s production value on the song. I think it cheapens it and trivializes it a little bit, whereas Princess feels a little more genuine and a little less outlandish, I guess you could say. I mean, I don't know. I Generally, I love 
music from the 80s and I can overlook that sort of distinct 80s vibe where it gets a little cheesy, but 99% of the time the cheese is an endearing factor to me. And with this song, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm biased and I love Prince so much, but when I hear Shaka's version now, I'm like, Prince, why did you do that? Because I don't know. These days, his version sounds so much more authentic and so much more genuine. Vince, what's your take on the original version of I Feel For You? Yeah, it's almost hard to say much about the original version of I Feel For You because the cover is so well-known that I'm gonna, I have to say a few things, too. I don't know if I saw that video on YouTube or if it was actually on, like, VH1 Classic. I think it was on VH1 Classic, and I said, you know, I usually pass over 80s videos I've seen a million times, but I'm just going to stop and watch this one. And I know what you're saying about the song, because I've, I went back and I go back and forth Shaka's version. I loved it initially, and it was like, Shaka and rules. I, I don't know who she is, but this song is great. Then, you know, you sort of get tired of it after a while because it's like, for an 80s song, it's a bit overplayed. Then I caught it again. I'm like, breakdance music isn't bad, but when it's forced like that sometimes, it doesn't quite yeah. work. I think yeah. that's what was happening in the song. Where Prince's version, it's so hard to talk about Prince's version because Shaka's version is so overwhelming in our consciousness. It's simplistic. It's it's kind of fun. It it's essentially more of an R&B song than a disco song. I think it's it's like it's not quite that up tempo. It's it's more mid tempo and it's like it, it's smooth. Interesting note, um, and it is noted in Wikipedia. The Pointer Sisters covered this song, and I think it, it says on their So Excited album, 1982. So just a few years after Prince's version, but before Shaka's version. I don't think it was a single. If it was, it didn't go anywhere. But it was included on their legendary compilation, which is like a free disc set. So it probably encompassed non-singles, because that's where I first heard their version. Their version is pretty faithful to Prince's, obviously using their vocals and their combination of vocals to make it different. But... Very similar arrangement. I also see it was covered by Reba Jackson or Centipede album, and that was released one week after Shaka Khan's album with this song, which is pretty crazy to note. Um, never heard her, so. Of course, noted, I mean, we can all, always note Prince's cover, songs that, that were covered. Quite a few of his lesser-known songs have been covered. This is definitely one of them. I mean, if I Feel For You was a single, it was a single that didn't make an impact. And the only reason it is included on the hit CD is because of the shock conversion, which is so into public consciousness. And then we get to the last track, track number nine. You know, we were talking earlier about why it's important to revisit albums like this that we don't have as much experience with. And for me... The final song on the Prince album is a great reason to check out albums like this where you haven't listened to them that often because sometimes you discover hidden gems. and It's not like you've never heard them before, but 
It's been so many years since you've heard them. In a sense, it's almost like listening to a brand new song. And that's the effect that track number nine, It's Gonna Be Lonely, had on me this past week when I initially listened to the album. I just think it's a great track and a hidden gem of a ballad. And not a lot of people talk about it, even in the hardcore fan community, but there's just something about it, something a quality, or several qualities even, that I really, really well about it. And to begin with, I keep repeating myself and sound like a broken record, but Chris's vocals on this song are really, really good. And the emotion, especially towards the middle section of the song and the end of the song where the main riff just keeps repeating and he's pleading to this woman not to leave. It sounds so genuine and so meaningful. I just kind of get caught up in a little bit. And I don't know if you would call them keyboard notes, synth notes in the chords right after he sings the word lonely. There's a little bit of a keyboard sort of jingle riff. And for me, I don't know, it, it sounds really, really nice and really pleasant. And it's one of my favorite aspects of the song. But this is a song that really draws me in, and I'm really captivated by the emotion of it and just the perfection of Prince's vocals. What a great song, and it's like discovering a lost treasure almost for me. Vince, what are your impressions of the last track, It's Gonna Be Lonely? Wow. It wasn't like that for me. I I think I'm going to give a little bit of my summation of the album, too, um, here, because... This is one of my favorite albums. Sometimes it makes the top five for me. It's one I don't forget. Oh. Um, yeah, I mean, I I suppose I, I didn't really say that in the beginning, but I'll say it now. It's I mean, I, I haven't had a complaint about any song. Even the songs that aren't as memorable are still good. I mean, it's, it really takes you to that time, 1979, what was happening then. There's nothing lyrically there that cements it in that time, although maybe it's edginess of Bambi that's like maybe placed in that time where it wouldn't be so shocking or something like that in the 80s, I suppose. But who knows? But it's, of course, the disco sound, the R&B sound. It's also his sound perfected, and It's Going to Be Lonely is an example of that. Very memorable lyrically, vocally, and, of course, the music. It's a combination of all those elements. He is really mastering his songwriting here, where on For You, there's a few songs that do that, but overwhelmingly, there are overall dozens. And even with the songs that do that, there are some trouble spots. Here, it's like you have the whole song, and it just takes you on a journey. And it's really heartfelt, and you really feel it. So not only is it technically well done, but the emotion's there. And he's starting yep. to feel that in this album quite a bit. And, and really, that's what an artist does. If you can just technically do something, well, there's not much to say. But if you can feel the emotion in the song, too, it, it shows. And... You know, it's like it really resonates. It's memorable. 
he had the hooks down. He had everything down for this album. So, yeah, it makes my top ten easily, sometimes top five. I'd say top ten more than top five. I yeah. would agree. Top ten, easy for me. Easy. Yeah. Might be top it's strange, five. It's strange because we both keep going back to this point, but it's interesting to talk about that Prince has released so much music over the years and so many albums that even albums like this that are solid all the way through, they get overlooked because there's so many more albums that are so much more widely known that you sort of forget. Oh, yeah, there's plenty of other albums that may not get the hype, but that are really, really good quality albums. And this second album is one of those. And typically with second albums, whether it's a solo artist or the group, they always talk about the trend of a sophomore slump where occasionally debut albums really showcase the artist and then their second album really disappoints and doesn't really live up to the promise that the first showed. But I think in this case, it's the reverse. I think For You showed promise and showed glimpses of what Prince could be, and then the Prince album expanded on that and took it to the next level. And that's how I really see the two albums. So each is just as important as the other in terms of the overall development of Prince's artistry and skill as a musician and a producer. But it's really interesting to take a look at the beginnings of what would become a phenomenal career and a Hall of Fame career. And it's really interesting to look at it all and put it all in perspective. Sometime to see the big picture, you've got to go to where it all started to the very beginning. And that's what we've done here tonight. He grew from this album and it was the reverse of the sophomore slump. I totally agree. I would put that in perspective of he had nothing to lose. With For You, there was such little success, even though he was on a major label, and I mean, they easily could have just said, look, you barely cracked whatever with Soft and Wet, we're going to drop you. But maybe he, he took it seriously and he said, look, I've really got to turn this around. I've got to do something that uh, people will respond to. And... I think people would respond to Prince if they haven't already. It's hard to get lost in the shuffle, as you were saying. There's so many albums. And really the problem is Dirty Mind. Dirty Mind was a critical darling. So was Controversy to an extent. 1999 became a huge commercial success. Purple Rain became massive. And then everything after that became varying degrees of success commercially, plus, in quite a few cases, critically. So it's easy to get lost in that shuffle of the 80s, from 1980 to 88. All those albums are classic, you know, and, and you can't argue with the commercial success of Batman, and then you go on a little bit farther, and, you know, the commercial success waned a little bit, but those were still successful albums still noted albums, where an album like Prince can get lost very easily, because they had the one hit, even a big hit, it's memorable work after that, so it's easy to get lost. But yeah, I I liked what you said about that, how he grew. I don't know if that's how you said it, but 
it would be in a reverse yeah. of sophomore slump. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. I've had a great time discussing the first two albums tonight. I'd like to thank my fellow Purple Knight, the artist formerly known as Vince. Until next time, I'm Chris Johnson, and I am out. <laughs>